informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. As always, we appreciate it. Wow, what a week this has been. The storms and uh, everything else that's been going on. We're going to have a lot of information today. We'll talk with Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association. He will check in uh, from his farm in Iowa. Did uh, they have damage from uh, the big storms this week? We'll talk uh, with Kevin, what he's hearing from others that he's been talking to. He's also been doing some traveling. We'll we'll get an update on that as he met with uh, some corn growers in North Carolina earlier this week. So we'll talk about that. We had uh, numbers from USDA, the WASDE report this week. Arlen Suderman with Stone X will join us on the program today as we'll talk about those numbers and his thoughts on uh, any market impact from the storms this week and just his outlook as we head ever closer to to harvest time. Let's start things off, though, with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report, and I think he's doing some traveling. Jerry, are you in Denver? I am. I I escaped the humidity of Washington, and in the last month, I found the heat and humidity to be worse than the coronavirus lockdown. So Hmm. I finally got out of town, and yesterday the humidity in D.C. was 87%, and here it was 10%. So I'm happy to be in Denver. (laughs) Quite a difference. I assume you flew. Were there many on the flight? Uh, Well, I flew on Delta, which says that you will not have anyone sitting next to you, and there was no one sitting next to me. Uh, and, and so I would say that, you know, the plane was, was was sort of full if you take into account the idea that they're going to keep out one-third of the people because they're not selling middle seats. Uh, I would have to say that in my whole experience of going through the airports, uh, I did not feel unsafe. I uh, In the Detroit airport where I changed planes, there were, uh, you know, there were travelers, but it's not, uh, it's not packed, so the uh, you can socially distance all the time. Mm-hmm. But there are people traveling. But there's there are people traveling. Yes. Now there's mm-hmm. not much food on the planes. That's for sure. So right. <laughs> if you travel, you better plan to bring your own. <laughs> okay. Well, you mentioned the the heat and humidity in Washington D.C. Um, that's not the only thing uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is the relationship uh, between the House, the Senate, Republicans, and Democrats over this coronavirus assistance package, the latest one. They still seem like they're a long ways apart. Yes, it doesn't look like there's any uh, doesn't look like there's any movement on this. Uh, and now there are predictions that there won't be a deal until they come back after the after Labor Day, after the eighth of September. Uh, so. Uh, uh, to me, the most interesting thing of the, the two things of the week were, first of all, the addition of, adi- of more uh, commodities to the coronavirus aid, ba- aid package and the extension of the deadline. Uh, I, you know, now that they've added more commodities, I think September 11th is a very early date to have this deadline. I don't understand how all these people are going to get the idea that, or, you know, the knowledge that they are eligible and, and to get their applications in by that date. It seems very early to me, and I wonder if USDA will have to extend it again. Yeah, we'll watch that. As I mentioned to FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce earlier 
uh, this week and to some others. Uh, I mean, that's a long list they've they've added. And, and actually, some of those were commodities I didn't even know we, we produced in this country. I mean, they it's a pretty extensive list, but yet some classes of wheat are still not in there. We talked about that this week with the National Association of Wheat Growers. It was just interesting the number of commodities they included. Um, and now they're going to pay the other part of it. They're going to pay that other 20 percent uh, that they hadn't paid. So I, I wonder if we'll see the money go out quicker now. It's been they've been criticized for being slow with those payments. Uh, yes, yes. And and also getting the word out about eligibility. Uh, it's so hard to tell, you know, uh, knowing that that there are. Uh, real problems out there in rural America, it is kind of shocking that there haven't been more applications uh, mm-hmm. for the aid. Uh, and, you know, I think the only way to to know that is to talk to the farmers themselves, and, and uh, that's hard to do because it's uh, so many um, millions of people. Uh, the other information that I'm getting is that uh, Vice President Pence spoke in Iowa yesterday uh, but it didn't go very well. The Iowans are really upset about ethanol, and they want, uh, and they're kind of in a state of shock due to the derecho. Uh, so we've gotten reports that uh, that um, even though there was applause in the room, uh, the speech didn't go over that well with a lot of people, and and there isn't the excitement for Trump that they were hoping for. Well, I think the ethanol is a tricky issue for them. Obviously, he made the point about waters of the U.S. and that's well received in agriculture because uh, the old rule the obama rule was not popular at all very controversial this new rule seeming much better but when you try to uh tell folks in iowa that uh, you've supported ethanol by by allowing e15 sales year round that while that's true it's been more than offset by the small refinery exemptions that have been granted by this epa Indeed, indeed. And from what I hear, the polls are showing that uh, uh, Iowans are not upset about the situation with China, even though the commodity prices are low and they lost sales to China, because they understand that's a complicated situation. But on ethanol, they just don't understand the president not supporting them after he made such big promises to him to them in, in 2016. Um, so... Uh, I think it's going to be a competitive race in Iowa. I certainly wouldn't expect uh, Vice President Biden to to win the rural areas, but if the Democrats uh, can hold down the Republican majority in the rural areas, that is, of course, what helps the Democrats win uh, because it because they do win a lot of votes in the cities and the suburbs. Yeah, I want to. I'm going to talk about this with Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers, an Iowa farmer. I'm going to talk with this about this with him next. But I wonder if the administration is starting to see they've miscalculated the feelings of people in states like Iowa about the ethanol issue and how it's been handled. I think they've they feel that uh, they can they're okay on this, and I don't know that they've properly or accurately gauged the amount of. Uh, frustration that people have in some of these states over their policies of allowing EPA to grant those exemptions. Well, I think that's right, but they're trying to satisfy the oil industry at the same time, Mm -hmm. and the oil industry takes exactly the opposite viewpoint. Uh, And this is always the toughest position for politicians when they're trying uh, to to please both sides, uh, and it's impossible. 
Yeah, and on this issue, the administration's been doing this uh, for uh, for the last few years, uh, trying to walk that line, and we'll see how that plays out for them. All right, Jerry, safe travels to you, and enjoy the cooler weather, and thanks for being with us. Well, thank you. I'm headed from here to Wyoming, Montana, and North Dakota. Oh, beautiful country. All right, enjoy your trip. Thanks. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Up next, we'll talk with the president of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk it over with Iowa farmer and president of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Let's see, when I talked with you earlier in the week, you were in North Carolina, I believe. Yeah, Mike, I uh, was down there at the North Carolina annual meeting and uh, and met uh, some some uh, folks farming uh, down there, North Carolina corn, soybeans, and and a few other crops down there for those folks. But uh, they, they were spared some of the nasty weather that we had up this way. They had an in-person meeting then? They did. Uh, they held part of it virtually and uh, and part of it, uh, you know, in person there. And, and uh, I think, you know, had a lot of folks that were excited to, <laughs> to be able to do something in person. Uh, had to take some uh, mitigating steps, you know, um, uh, according to what their uh, county regulations were. And um, it was there in Asheville, North Carolina. But uh, there are some uh, some organizations that are um, starting to, to have some of these more in-person meetings, some, uh, uh, some of these state uh, state corn organizations and, and other ag groups that are trying to do things, um, you know, in person a little bit. And um, I'm hoping we're all getting back to that here pretty soon. You know, everyone's impacted uh, by the virus and the the steps being taken to try to keep everybody safe. But I think about agriculture uh, based around so much about the uh, the gathering together and talking with with each other at meetings and conventions and things like that. I mean, this is such a departure from the normal way of doing things. I mean, that that social time is important for people to see old friends, make new friends, get together. And, and again, I know this has played out in other walks of life, but I think especially in the ag community, that's such a big part of things. And if you take that out, that's really a big loss. I think you're absolutely right, Mike. Uh, when you know when it comes to ag, um, even in you know the places that are more sparsely populated and and uh, you know have a little bit more space in general, um, it, you know it's nice that we have these tools and these uh, uh, pieces of technology where we can do things uh, online and, and uh, see people through uh, you know through video calls and things like that. But I tell you. Um, you know, we're, we're accustomed to the handshake. We're accustomed to uh, looking somebody in the eye and, and talking to them about uh, uh, what we're doing, what's going on, and, and just asking questions from that personal uh, aspect. And I think, um, you know, I think in agriculture we really, uh, you know, have a, a much closer tie to that, uh, that that true personal field than maybe some, you know, would in, in uh, uh, the more urban settings. And, and these things are just difficult. It's just, it's just difficult and challenging for everybody to uh, – uh, to kind of wrap your head around what what we've had to change in our you know in our daily lives overall, and it's um, like I said, I'm I'm looking forward to getting back to uh, some sense of normalcy and and uh, getting back to uh, 
uh, a lot of the meetings and talking to farmers a lot in different places and finding out what's, uh, you know, what their issues are and how we can help impact their, you know, their bottom line in national corn. Yeah, we're fortunate we have the technology to be able to do some things virtually, but it's just not the same, that's for sure. We're talking with the president of the National Corn Growers Association, Kevin Ross. Well, Kevin, when you got back home to Iowa, uh, what did you find uh, in wake of the the storms that went through? Did you have any damage on your farm? Yeah, so we've got some small damage. Um, you know, by comparison for us, it's it's very little, a little bit of wind damage to crops and and uh you know certainly some some branches no structural damage that uh, that i'm aware of yet but uh um you, you don't have to go very far and and uh things just are, are absolutely devastating and uh it, you know it's different I, I just talked to a friend of mine last night who um uh you know is kind of in the home repair business and and uh he was over in cedar rapids for a couple of days and said they're going to be you know without power there for uh he estimated a while he said this is uh, you know, entire town is entirely, um, you know, just entirely in shambles. And, and that includes a lot of other small towns in the, you know, in the, in the path of this thing. And you look at a storm like this, it was, you know, 80 to hundred, you know, hundred plus mile an hour winds for sustained periods of time. And it's not like a tornado where you just have a, you know, a one or two mile swath where it's, uh, or, or far less than that in most cases that are, um, you know, devastating damage and, and quick to pass through. This thing was um, just straight line winds and, and some hail that just absolutely ravaged, um, you know, the crops as well as structures across such a wide area that, uh, um, you know, it, it, people have seen a lot of different things happen before, but uh, this seems to be, um, from folks I've talked to, the, the worst that, that they've ever seen in, in such a widespread area. And that's that's what's so shocking about this uh, this particular storm. Uh, a lot of calls to the uh, insurance agents and uh, a lot of time out in the fields with the insurance adjusters. Oh, for sure. And, and that's, you know, one thing that's certainly fortunate is that we have these, uh, you know, crop insurance programs that, uh, you know, that uh, have, we've spent a lot of time on over the years as, as associations and, um, and farmers have worked through, uh, through RMA and USDA to, to improve these things. And, um, you know, we certainly have good programs, but you know, they <laughs> these things don't uh, they don't make you whole. Um, and and the crops that are, you know are out there uh, and damaged, I think, um, just an absolutely disheartening uh, thing to look at for for a lot of farmers, whether you have insurance or not. I mean, I know the feeling um, over the years when we've had big storms like that here, uh, especially when you're when you're going slow in the combine later and you're trying to uh, you know trying to pick what you can. Um, you know, it's just a, it's just kind of a depressing feeling when you're looking in the in the, in the hopper there and, and not seeing it come in there as fast as you like, and and you're having to go slow or one way and things like that. So just a lot of issues that we're going to have to deal with, let alone the storage side of this thing uh, that those folks have have uh, you know are, are looking at now, because uh, whether it's co-ops or on-farm storage, there is just a, uh, a an unbelievable amount of, uh, of of grain storage that's been lost in this storm. Yeah, another challenge indeed in what's already been a tremendously challenging year. But Kevin, let's talk about uh, Vice President Pence's visit to Iowa yesterday. Um, he was obviously touting uh, the president's uh, record on for agricultural issues. Waters of the U.S., I think, uh, certainly a success, uh, and one he brought up. But he also, I thought was interesting, he brought up ethanol and talking about, uh, you know, 
the support and the the successes for ethanol for this administration by granting E15 year-round, which was a big step, obviously. But, of course, we know it's been offset by these small refinery exemptions. Do you think at this late date still the administration has miscalculated how people feel about this ethanol issue and how strongly they feel about these small refinery exemptions and, and the lack of uh, uh, support on getting them stopped by the administration? Yeah, I don't know how they could miscalculate it because we've been uh, we've been in their ear, uh, you know, all the time on this issue, as well as our, our partners across the ethanol and biodiesel industries. Uh, um, it, it's one of those things that I know farmers um, care a ton about, and, and it's really it stems back to uh, you know just demand. I mean, this flat out goes directly to demand of of corn and uh, you know corn and ag products, and and um, it's one of those things that, yes, but for certain they have a few things that uh, uh, they can absolutely say they did, with, uh, especially with E15. And uh, I will, you know, that's absolutely support that uh, that decision they made. They did a fantastic job of, of getting that through and getting us the year-round use there. And, and we think that's going to be a big feature. But, uh, uh, but as you said, Mike, uh, you know, if you're going to, uh, you know, give you something on one end and kind of uh, take it out on the other, it doesn't really give you the full effect of, uh, of the benefit of what you're trying to do. And um, and that's the message we've really tried to say is that, uh, you know, we, we appreciate what they've done uh, on the E15 front, but absolutely we've got to get this, uh, uh, get these small refinery exemptions stopped. And, and it should, you know, just feels like it shouldn't be this hard. <laughs> um, that's what's so frustrating. And, um, you know, again, the message keeps getting sent. Uh, we had, uh, had some folks there uh, yesterday at the event uh, from Mile Corn and uh, and others around, and, and had a chance to speak directly with uh, uh, with Vice President Pence. And I know um, Senator Ernst and Governor Reynolds and uh, uh, and our Secretary Mike Nade were, were all there uh, pushing that message as well as uh, other farmers that were were in you know there present as well. So uh, the message is getting sent for sure, and we're going to continue to beat that drum. It's obvious they're trying to walk that line as they have uh, throughout the last few years uh, to try to appease both the oil side and the uh, the biofuel side, and uh, at different times have made both sides mad. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's a you know that's a tricky line of politics. Uh, no matter how you look at it, I think um, they've got a they've certainly at this point you know they got calculations to make on an election, but um, we know the issues and we know the issues that are important to farmers and. And uh, that's what we try to convey every day to, to the administration and, and others with, uh, within Congress. All right, Kevin, thank you. Glad you had safe journeys this week, and uh, good to talk with you, get an update. And uh, we wish you and the folks there in those uh, areas have been hit by the storms well and, and your recovery. Good luck to you. Thanks for being with us. Hey, absolutely, Mike. Appreciate you having me on. Take care. Kevin Ross, President, National Corn Growers Association. All right, up next, we'll talk with uh, Arlen Suderman with Stone X, get his thoughts on the storms and uh, uh, the market situation. WASDE numbers out this week. Lots to talk about with Arlen. That's coming up next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, it's been quite a week. Uh, we have weather to talk about. We have uh, purchases 
by China to talk about, and of course we have some new numbers from USDA to talk about. Let's talk about all that with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Arlen, thanks for joining us. Let's start with the the WASDE report. Uh, what were your takeaways from that? Uh, USDA coming in as a little bit more aggressive than what the trade thought on the yields. They were still below our yields. I think the and I said this before the report. I thought that the whisper numbers actually being traded were closer to what our numbers were. Our numbers were forecasting final yields, um, but I think the trade says okay, and it gave a sigh of relief. Okay, they weren't as high as the whisper yield, so they came back in and buying, started focus on the demand side. There was a little bit of a focus also on the storm damage from Monday, the duratio, and what that may have had. But I think a little reality is starting to set in now that uh, we still don't have the kind of numbers that justify rationing demand with higher prices. Well, let's talk about the storm that moved through, hit several states, uh, primarily Iowa. Uh, for those farmers that have been hit and hit hard, it's certainly a, a very tough situation. But in the bigger picture, uh, does it make that much of a difference as far as the, the size of this year's crop, as far as the markets are concerned? Yeah, what it does is it kind of depends. What it does is indicate how much of the lost demand from the ethanol plants being shut down this spring did we offset with the lost production. And uh, in other words, how big is the surplus going to be? Either way, it's still going to be too big to justify rationing demand. As I look at it, and I do have a, a, a history as an agronomist in a, in a former life, so to speak, um, and uh, when corn gets laid over the way it did at this stage, you're going to have some consequences. Where it's snapped off, obviously that's a, a pretty significant loss. It's pretty hard to harvest it, anything after it's snapped off. Where it bends over, then it depends how much did it pull, tear the roots. Um, a lot of the soils are dry, so there'd be a little bit more root tear. When you bend over the stock, you also do some damage to the vascular tissue inside that stock and where it is able to try to come back up, which it will try to do, but generally it's going to be a mess to harvest. You're going to have more trouble trying to get nutrients and water through that damaged stock to the ear so it doesn't feel quite the same. But trying to pinpoint specific losses is very difficult because every situation will be different. Every year's, every duration is going to be different. But right now I'm saying 200 to 400 million bushels of lost uh, production. Uh, it, and, and I'm getting hit from both sides saying you're too high, you're too low. So maybe I'm somewhere in the ballpark. But anyway, it gives us a working number for now. But if you take 200 or 400 million, either one off the ending stocks, that still leaves you with surplus corn. Um, it just means less surplus, and maybe we don't go quite as low for the lows, for the harvest lows this year. Yeah, it really stands out how our stock situation and our production capability, because this is really, you look at two years in a row, what I call Mother Nature set aside. Last year with prevent plant acres, this year with a storm through a major production area like Iowa, and still it hardly makes a, a, a dent in the overall picture and uh, doesn't get that much of a market reaction. Yeah, and we are seeing a significant increase in demand, and we do expect that in the year ahead. It's just not picking up as fast as what our ability to produce is, and that's a real concern. And if China comes in with more demand than we currently think, 
um, that just opens the door uh, for Brazil to expand more as well. So that's a real concern. I do think there are opportunities in agriculture. I don't want to come across as, as negative. I think we're going to have opportunities. It means being sharp and shrewd in our marketing, uh, not trying to hit home runs, hit doubles, uh, singles and doubles as the market gives you opportunity. Learn the tools that are available to you. Get someone to help you uh, if, if, like you do for your agronomy. Um, but uh, either way, do something. There will be opportunities, and I think there will be opportunities for profit in agriculture. We just can't take it for granted. We're going to have to work at it. Talking with Arlen Sitterman with Stone X. Arlen, let's talk about China and their purchases. They're still buying. Oh, they still are. Now they've pulled back on buying any corn now for a couple of weeks and, and haven't done much. They are uh, being fairly aggressive and taking shipment of the corn that they previously bought, and they've been aggressive on buying grain sorghum as well. That's a little easier for the private buyers to process. Most of the corn had been bought by state buyers, um, but the private buyers don't have the TRQs to, to buy more corn. It's all been state buyers. The, and then as we get to next month, we should get uh, uh, TRQ quotas for importing corn for 2021, and that'll give us a much clearer picture longer term of China. But there had definitely has been an emphasis over the last couple of weeks at the very highest levels of the government of becoming self-sufficient in corn, um, as well as other grain and food production. And so that doesn't give you a lot of encouragement to think they're going to come in here and, and simply empty our cupboards with a great grain robbery. Yeah, here we are mid-August. I mean, it's starting to get uh, kind of late into the year here. And we've had a major weather event, and we've had continued purchases, maybe not great, but, uh, you know, fairly consistent from uh, China, and we're not seeing a boost yet. So do we not see a, a, a rally here as we head to harvest time? Well, the funds don't like to just keep a stagnant market, and so they'll do things like what we saw this week. Um we got what I would consider to be a bearish report. Others interpret it differently, but I interpreted it as a bearish report. Big crops tend to get bigger, albeit we need to take the duration bushels out of there now. Um, but still the market rallied. So the funds will find excuses to get movement in the market. We'll just have to learn how to take advantage of those movements when they come. I remember some 20 years ago, when we saw 17 and a half cents worth of movement in the spot contract of corn between harvest and planting, that we just that just doesn't happen anymore. The funds need to find an excuse to move the market. That's how they make their money. They will do it. We just have to recognize those opportunities as they come. I guess when I ask about a rally, I should say it, it depends on your definition of a rally, right? I mean, it, you can have a, yeah. an up move, and for some that wouldn't be significant enough to get them to really uh, jump on it, but you may have to adjust your expectations and definition of a rally. Yeah, and, and one thing is clear. China does not want to import significant amounts of corn from us, um, but they still may not have a choice. That possibility is still there, and people are going to say out there, oh, it's because of the floods, right? No, it's because of the dry weather in the North China Plain uh, that did have a negative impact on their production. We just don't have a good feel for how much of a negative impact that was. And so as much as what uh, President Xi would like to limit corn imports from the United States, 
as they get in and harvest, if those yields are significantly disappointing, they still may not have a choice this year and may have to come back for quite a bit more corn. Uh, so that is still an option. I just wouldn't want to build all of my farm marketing plan on that possibility with as much rhetoric as we've heard the last two weeks about being self-sufficient in corn coming from the very top of the government. Let's uh, talk ethanol. We have a dispute with Brazil over tariffs, and we're going to wait and see how that plays out. But uh, that's something for us to keep watch on, too, uh, could be, you know, the ethanol industry is dealing with a lot. This is another issue that could have an impact on them. It really has. And we've seen profit margins this year for ethanol go from almost record low to record high in, in a matter of weeks' time and going back and forth. And it's been an ongoing struggle. That makes it tough to plan. We've seen gasoline consumption continue to go up, um, and that's encouraging. Ethanol production the last two to three weeks has trended back lower once again, but with gasoline consumption still going up, I expect ethanol to go up. The stocks are at multi-year lows right now, so we're going to have to ramp up production. Longer term, we really need that export business you're talking about, uh, be it Mexico, be it Canada. Um, we'd love to have China. Even Brazil, they're trying to fight to uh, get uh, our tariff-free imports um, eliminated. The sugar industry has tried that before. We'll see if they succeed this time. We've got some challenges there. Um, but we need those exports to go along with people getting back driving. The other thing watching the, as we head into harvest will be storage. I mean, we have still some old crop in bins, and now we have fewer bins to hold uh, this year's crop. And that's going to have an uh, impact on basis, and, but uh, it's also going to slow the harvest progress. Fortunately, it looks like September is going to be warm. That'll help the crop dry in the field because it's going to be very difficult in mean, those wind-struck areas to get the crop dried down. Going to have to do more drying in the field this time, and going to be more corn piled on the ground, but you can't pile on the ground until you get it drier. Um, and so that's definitely going to have a negative impact on the harvest in Iowa and parts of Illinois. Yep, we'll be watching that as we get ever closer to harvest time in those states. Thanks a lot, Arlen. Appreciate it. Busy week. We'll talk again next week. All right, Mike. All right, Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INT. Oh, I was going to say INTLFC Stone. Now Stone X, uh, I should say, with their new rebranded name. All right. It has been quite a week with uh, the events of with the weather, certainly. Uh, a big reminder to us that the uh, even with a good crop out there, we've got a ways to go before it's uh, all finished out. And a lot of uh, challenges that uh, f- folks are facing here in this year of 2020 with the pandemic and the weather and so many things. I'll have some thoughts on all that as we kind of look back at the week. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, what a week it has been, right? I mean, uh, 
2020, the hits just keep on coming. It's got a pandemic and so many other things going on. And then in the midst of all of this, we get a weather event called derecho with the straight line winds that hit a much, you know, big part of Iowa and into Illinois and some other states as well. Um, I have to admit, I I really wasn't familiar with the term derecho until this week, but it's been around a long time as we learn from the uh, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, uh, Dennis Toddy, who told us this week where that term originated. A derecho actually uh, was first coined by the state climatologist of Iowa back in the late 1800s. He was at the University of Iowa, Um, but it, it kind of fell away and, and, and then became renewed back in the 1980s by some work in the 1980s. And uh, the, the definition of it basically re- is referring to a long-lived, very strong wind event, straight-line wind event that moves over a great distance. Um, I don't remember what the distance specifically has to be. This one, I think the number was around 700 miles. Uh, the worst of the winds started kicking up in western Iowa, maybe a little bit of eastern Nebraska, southeast South Dakota. But the damage really started in, in, in earnest in western Iowa, moved across central Iowa, uh, northern Illinois, northern Indiana, and then kind of dissipated as it got to Ohio and communicating with my folks out there. Um, so, uh, you know, I, 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 I jokingly have coined it the, the Lincoln Highway derecho because if you follow U.S. 30, that was kind of the center of it, of where it happened all across the middle of the U.S. So now the uh, the assessment of the damage is ongoing. That'll take a lot of time, and the impact will be felt even longer for those that were in the path of that derecho. You know, some of those damaged crops will hopefully recover, but we know that uh, a lot of them will not. And even those that will recover somewhat, they'll present quite a harvest challenge. That will slow things down even more. While other crops are indeed lost, and farmers will be looking at crop insurance for their market this year. Even though millions of acres were damaged to some degree, it probably, as we just talked about with Arlen Suderman, probably won't move the markets much higher. Large stocks and potential for another big crop continue to keep a lid on these grain prices. Much like last year's flooding that kept many acres from even being planted, this year's set aside for Mother Nature doesn't seem to phase the markets that much. It's, well, let's face it, it's the downside of being so productive. In the wake of the uh, storm, many challenges now remain. Some of the areas hit by the storm were already dry, and to add insult to injury, they didn't even get much rain out of this system that moved through. Structural damage will be a big issue this fall. There will not be enough time to replace all those lost grain bins before harvest, so we'll probably see more on-ground storage, which will lead to quality concerns. Recent experience with bags may prove beneficial, although loss of drying capacity will be another issue. And as we just talked about, that may lead to farmers kind of leaving crops in the field a little longer or letting them dry down if they're not going to be able to uh, have their drying capabilities that they're used to. Remember last year, the logistical problem we had getting propane to where it needed to be? Well, that problem's now been replaced with a lack of dryers to use it. Drying capacity and capability will certainly be reduced in those areas hit by derecho. 
There will probably be calls from some for some disaster assistance for those hit by the storm, but we know that's a slow and lengthy process, especially for a Congress that is still arguing about more COVID assistance. Many farmers not affected by the storms are looking at potentially big crops and counting on bushels to make up for low prices. Those farmers know that a derecho-type event could happen to them as well. Farmers tend to downplay crop size for fear of depressing grain prices, but the markets have already decided, derecho or not, there will be a big crop this year. The guessing game? Well, it's now underway. Yep, everybody getting their estimates out. What do they think the crop size is going to be? But we know one thing, and I always I think back to some old sayings. Um, even as everyone with all of our technology and all the crop tours, that gives us such a better idea of what crop size will be. But we know the final judge of that will be uh, uh, when the combines actually go through the fields. That's when we really know the size of the crop. And the other thing uh, we're reminded of, an old saying I've heard from farmers for many, many years, looking out and seeing a pretty what's potentially a good crop, and they would always say, but it's not in the bin yet. And this week was a reminder of that. You can have a really good-looking crop here in August, but it's not in the bin yet. But to add even more insult to injury in this year of 2020, with all the challenges and all the hits that keep coming, not only is the crop not in the bin yet, but sadly for some this year, there may not even be a bin to put it in when it comes time to harvest. Just add to the challenges and the hits of 2020. What a year this has been, and it's not over yet. Well, coming up uh, on our program on Monday, we're going to be taking a look at the weather, and hopefully we're going to be seeing some good weather here if as we head towards harvest time, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson will give us an update on that. We're also going to be taking a look at USMCA. You know, it's in place, but there are some concerns about getting it enforced. We've already heard some concerns about the produce growers in the south, but dairy producers are concerned about whether or not USMCA will be enforced and open up that Canadian dairy market. That was a big part of uh, the negotiations as far as the dairy industry was concerned to get the new trade deal in place. We'll take a look at efforts to make sure that it's being enforced. Some uh, members of Congress on both sides of the aisle. That's right. Even a bipartisan approach on this one, which you don't get a lot of bipartisan anything these days in Washington. They have sent a letter urging a strong enforcement of the dairy provisions of USMCA. So we'll be talking about that as well. In the meantime, have a good weekend, everyone. Please be safe, be well, and join us again on Monday right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.